The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the Radiate Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, Christy Clemens Hoffman. Each week we will discuss tools, tips, and ways to radiate your best life ever, interviewing practitioners, authors, and luminaries to help you on your path. Wellness, joy, peace, abundance. What do you want to radiate? Today on the Radiate Wellness Podcast, we radiate intention with Dr. Greg Hammer, MD, who is from the Stanford School of Medicine, where he's a professor, a physician, and best-selling author, as well as a mindfulness expert. Thank you for joining me today, Greg. I really appreciate having you on. My pleasure to be with you, Christy. Yeah, you've got quite the resume there. Quite, that's very impressive. Um, so, mindfulness and intentions. Now, it says here in the materials I have for you that you can explain how setting positive intentions may relieve chronic diseases, heal emotional wounds, and facil- facilitate success. So, why why intention? What is that about? Intention is really part of the formula, uh, as the acronym GAIN is in the title of my books. Yes. Uh, That stands, by the way, for gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. And I think the four of those are the pillars or the essential elements of happiness. They're all interrelated, actually. So intention is really related to gratitude and acceptance as well as non-judgment. But so it's hard to really talk about one of them in isolation. But uh, as John Kabat-Zinn defined mindfulness, he said that mindfulness is the awareness of the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. And the on purpose is intention. So Uh, The fact is that our brains are wired in some ways that are relatively unfavorable to our happiness and therefore success. And we have to consider those as we proceed if we want to be happy and successful. And the good news is that even though our brains are wired that way, our brains can be modified. We have this wonderful quality called neuroplasticity. So through intention, on purpose, we can rewire our brains one little baby step at a time, uh, preferably with a regular practice that's performed on a daily basis. I'm happy to get into that in more detail. Yeah, pl- yes, please. I was just wondering what kind of practices we can put into place on a daily, daily basis. Well, I can tell you, Christy, that it starts with uh, in according to my uh, proposal, I suppose, for people uh, or my practice as well, personally, it starts with a gain meditation in the morning. And this can be done in as little as three minutes. So who doesn't have three minutes? Uh, we can set our intention to do that gain meditation the night before. 
by setting our alarm clock three minutes earlier than we would otherwise. So in other words, if we're getting up at six in the morning, set our alarm for 5.57. I don't think we'll miss the three minutes of sleep. If we will, we can go to bed three, three minutes earlier. So we get up in the morning, maybe we open the blinds and we do our morning hygiene thing. And then we find a comfortable, quiet place to sit. And this is a meditation of sorts. And I think a lot of people have the wrong idea about meditation. They've been told, for example, that you have to sit in a particular position, possibly with your right ankle behind your left ear. <laughs> and then uh, you, you can't move, including scratching an itch. And you have to banish all thoughts from your mind for 30 minutes. And I think that's why a lot of people fail. It's too big of a bite. So they may never get started. Or if they do get started, they can't stop thinking about something. And so they think that they have failed. In fact, the GAIN method actually encourages one to have thoughts. It's just that the thoughts are guided. So we sit in a comfortable place and we notice our breath and we start our intention actually by noticing the passage of air into our nose and then into our lungs, filling our chest. And we do that inhalation to a count of three, slowly. We pause to a count of three. And then we, without effort, allow the breath to escape to a count of four. So we're slowing our breath down and we're noticing our breath. And when we slow it down like that, it actually sort of uh, allows our sympathetic nervous system to relax. And so our heart rate goes down, our blood pressure goes down, and we start to just feel the muscles in our body relax. And when we've done a couple of breaths that way, we move on to a contemplation of the G in gain, which is for gratitude. So we think of things for which we're grateful. And I'll just share with you my own bit of gratitude, it always starts with the fact that I'm here today and that I'm so grateful for enjoying the air I'm breathing right now today. And uh, I was diagnosed with a malignancy 10 years ago as a form of chronic leukemia. And long story short, I take a pill every day and there's no evidence of leukemia in my body and I feel completely fine. And 10 years ago, I didn't think I would be alive now. So it's easy for me to be grateful that I'm alive today. But in fact, it's something for which we're all grateful. It beats the alternative. We're here, we're breathing. So I, I contemplate my gratitude for that. And I sort of feel a, a radiance inside me just for that opportunity to be here today. And I have other things for which I'm grateful that I, I kind of go through and then I transition to acceptance because pain is an inevitable part of life. And if we resist it, and that means try not to think about it, try to justify it or rationalize something that's painful, like it's not my fault, it's their fault or whatever. Uh, if we resist it, we suffer more. And there's a formula in the book, which is that suffering equals pain times resistance. So the pain is an inevitable part of life, but the resistance to it is up to us. And so as we lower our resistance by opening our heart and accepting what is, including pain, our suffering diminishes. Suffering equals pain times resistance. If our uh, acceptance is great, therefore our resistance is low, then our suffering is minimal. So again, I have my own uh, issue that comes to mind first during uh, my contemplation of acceptance. I lost my 29-year-old son four years ago. And Sorry. it's easy for me to conceptualize that pain and at the same time kind of bring it closer, visualize actually that my chest is opening, my heart is opening. I'm bringing the pain in and I'm merging with it. So there's no separation. And it's a pain that I determined through my intention that I can live with. So there are other painful things we can all contemplate and let our bodies relax and our hearts open and let's bring those in and accept them. And then we move on to the iron gain, which is intention. 
And we can have the intention to be more positive because we all have a negativity bias. We can talk about that. We can have the intention to be more present because the second quality of our mind that interferes with happiness beside uh, the negativity bias we all have is that we are obsessed with the past and the future. And we can talk more about that, but that's another area in which we can set our intention to be present, to appreciate this present moment. And there's a great example of how intention can help rewire our brains called three good things that we can talk about. But the bottom line is we'll all have our own version of intention or purposefulness. And we, we contemplate that. And then we move finally to the end and game, which is non-judgment. And we acknowledge that our minds tend to compare and judge everything in our environment. You know, this is good. That is bad. That person is smarter than I am. I'm better looking than that person. Our minds just naturally do that. So it's one of the ways that our minds are wired that interferes with our happiness and our success. But the bottom line is we can learn to be non-judgmental. And the way that I contemplate non-judgment during my gain meditation is I actually start with an image of the earth suspended in space as we might see in one of these beautiful NASA images. And the earth is neither good nor bad. It's obvious from looking at it in this way that it just is. You know, it's rather beautiful, but it has things we would prefer that it not have and plenty of things that we love. And it's really intrinsically neither good nor bad. And then most difficultly, we can turn toward ourselves and see ourselves in a comparable way. We are neither good nor bad. We just are simply the way we are. And we let that feeling resonate and then we return to our breath, noticing, slowing a couple of more breaths, and then we slowly open our eyes and we're ready to go out into the world. And now that we have these gain elements, that we've embraced them in this three or four minute practice, we can go out in the world and continue to practice them during the day. Right, right. And what you're positing here is that it, this can actually change the brain. Absolutely. And okay. that's been demonstrated. How does it, Okay, so tell me more about that. Well, I mentioned that on the intention contemplation that um, there was a particularly, I think, cogent example that we could discuss. There's a program that's been ongoing at Duke University. I believe it's still ongoing. It's called Three Good Things. And it's very simple. You can sign up online and they've enrolled, I think, many thousands of people. And you simply commit to thinking of, and if you're a journaler, writing down three good things that happened to you during the day before you go to sleep. So you're turning down the bed linens and you're thinking Oh, wonderful. Today was a, a beautiful day here in Northern California. I really enjoyed it. I had the opportunity to spend an hour with Christy Hoffman. I had an opportunity to have lunch with a friend. I got some exercise. So I, I will have a lot of things that I can think of tonight. But the idea is you think of three good things that happened to you during the day. And what they've found by doing uh, sequential quality of life surveys at this Duke, uh, in this Duke study, is that just the act of contemplating three good things before we go to sleep helps us sleep better and it makes us happier. Mm. So if people practice this for 15 days, what they've shown is even months later, the participants are sleeping better than they were and they have a brighter outlook and they're indeed happier than they were before the Three Good Things program. So that's just a very simple intention that little by little by little causes us to be able to rewire our brains away from this negativity bias toward a more positive way of seeing the world and ourselves ultimately. That is fascinating. And, you know, these practices, they, the way you describe them, the way you lay them out, there's something that we can all do, and they really don't take that much time, all told. 
um, but they can have really profound effects. And so how can these practices affect our lives overall? Yeah, I think just as in in the three good things, the game practice, for example, Mm -hmm. um, can help us rewire our brain away from the negativity bias, away from this maladaptive obsession we have with the past and the future toward being more positive and more present. And by bringing to the fore our gratitude, our acceptance, our intention, and our non-judgment, that's exactly what we're doing. In baby steps, little by little, we're making progress toward redirecting our thoughts and really rewiring the brain to more positivity, more presence, and therefore more happiness because happiness is in the present moment. If you think of all the happy times you've had, excuse me, whether you're say hiking in the forest amidst the tall trees and you're gazing skyward toward that beautiful canopy of leaves and the sunlight filtering through, you're not really thinking about what happened yesterday or the list of things you have to do tomorrow. You're really just right there and while you're present, you're happy. So there's a really important lesson there, and that is that it's okay to think about the past in ways that are adaptive and similarly with the future, but the rest of the time we should be in the present. So what's maladaptive about the past and the future or thoughts thereof? Well, it's, it's adaptive to remember our wonderful memories that are by definition in the past. It's, I think, adaptive to identify mistakes we've made so that we don't make them again. But beyond that, when we think, overthink the past, we generate a lot of shame and regret Mm -hmm. and embarrassment about something we said, something we did. We didn't do something we should have done or we did something we shouldn't have done. So overthinking the past beyond the adaptive thoughts is maladaptive and and the same with the future it's certainly adaptive to think about things that will help us put bread on the table and it's adaptive to look forward to happy times with loved ones and family and friends but beyond that when we overthink the future because of our negativity bias we tend to generate a lot of fear and anxiety and one one way we do this is by resistance we feel that the way things are is not what we want or what we need. And and when we perceive things to be in a way that's not in alignment with our wants and needs, then we feel anxiety and we feel unhappy and we are resisting, in fact. We're resisting what is. And so this obsession with the past and the future and this negativity bias are real impediments to our, our progress toward happiness. But as I said, you know, by, by this simple practice, for example, and certainly there are other practices, we can actually rewire our brains little by little. Right. And that will have ripple effects throughout life. Um, people approach you that might not approach you otherwise because you just look more relaxed and happy. Relationships improve. Job performance improves. Everything, I can see how this would affect every aspect of life. And so that's a very important thing. You know, something you were saying reminded me of uh, what the Buddha said about attachment, that attachment is really the only source of, of suffering that there is, that attachment to a certain outcome, attachment to a certain way of being, attachment to a certain idea, right? So, yeah, this all comes back full circle. And I love that you're bringing this to the mainstream, I love that you're bringing this to medical students and Stanford University in general and, you know, writing your books. So this book, the the most recent book you have out is GAIN, G-A-I-N, the acronym, Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals, which I think is so important right now. You know, we're all so stressed with COVID and lockdowns and, you know, economic factors, et cetera, et cetera. So I have to turn it to why do you think that this 
book was important for you to write and why now? Um, well, actually, um, we formed a group uh, or a group was convened at Stanford called WellMD mm. six or seven years ago in response to the rising tide of burnout among physicians and in fact, yeah. healthcare workers in general. And um, I jumped on that because I've been a long time wellness enthusiast. And uh, at some point I was asked to give a talk on wellness, on burnout and wellness. What are the drivers? What are the cures of burnout? And then I was asked to give another talk and another talk. And pretty soon I was talking more about this than I do about my research at various meetings around the U.S. and around the world. And then I had some sabbatical time coming where I was going to be uh, not involved in clinical activity for eight months. Wow. And just the arrows were all pointing in the direction of writing this book and kind of getting the message out further. It seemed to be resonating with people to whom I was speaking. And I thought, well, you know, this would be kind of a fun thing to do. So that was the initial impetus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And how has it been received within the university community, the teaching hospital community, and the, the healthcare community in general? As far as I know, it's been very well received. Uh, all, all of the reviews on Amazon are five star. Um, you know, I keep getting asked by people such as yourself who have radio shows, podcasts, uh, and even television interviews to, to chat. So as far as I can tell, it's being very well received. I would really hope that these ideas catch on in the medical community and just empowering healthcare consumers, i.e. consumers, that um, you know we have so much to do with our own well-being and our own health and our own mental health and then having that be a partnership. So I really, really hope this takes off. So I want to pivot just a little bit back to intention. So, you know, in, in my community, I am like the metaphysical side of wellness, the woo-woo side of wellness. And to us, intention is like setting an intention, making an affirmative statement that we kind of hold as a, as a, a, a goal, perhaps, or we just set the intention that something's going to work out or turn out the way that we, we need it to or want it to. So how do you, what is your working definition of intention and how do you feel it differs from goals? Well, first, let me say why I think, uh, or what is the difference in my mind between intention and goals? Goals are kind of off in the future. So my goal is to, uh, or was to become a full professor at Stanford, which I did almost 20 years ago. Um, but my intention was something that was present along the way. So it was my intention each day to do what was within my power to accomplish that goal, which at one point was sort of off on the horizon. And uh, similarly, my intention now is to be a happier person and help other people be happier as well. The goal is that I will reach a lot of people. I don't have a specific number in mind, but that's a goal that's off in the distance. Uh, I can't necessarily make that happen uh, right now, but what I can do right now is fulfill my intention of spreading the message and also embodying those principles that I'm espousing myself. So that my intention is something that is manifest every day. The goal is more like off on the horizon and, and I may never achieve my goal. And the idea is if I fulfill my intention every day right now, that I will be quite satisfied. So one example that I cite in the book is it's a Saturday afternoon in, in, at Stanford in Palo Alto, and it's uh, you know lovely day, beautiful fall day. I, I decide to go for a bike ride, go right up into the hills nearby, and get to the top of the hills uh, to a, a road that's called Skyline Boulevard. From there, I can actually have a view of the Pacific Ocean. Mm -hmm. 
Beautiful. My intention is to enjoy the ride, is to be present for each rotation of the pedals, to experience how my muscles are working and to experience the beautiful scenery that I know lies with each rotation of the pedals because it's a beautiful ride. So I take my bike down off the wall and I get started and I'm pedaling and I'm fulfilling my intention, which is to be present, to enjoy the feeling and the sensation in my body, to really enjoy the scenery, the trees, the views, the animals I may see in the fields. And lo and behold, I get to Skyline Boulevard and as often happens in these parks, the fog has rolled in. So I can only see maybe 50 feet in front of me. I certainly can't see the Pacific Ocean. So I have not fulfilled my goal of seeing the Pacific Ocean, but I have actualized my intentions, which were to enjoy every moment of the ride and not get sidetracked by, oh, can I go another three miles up this hill? But rather to be present and just notice the sensation in my body for each rotation of the of the wheels, each rotation of the pedal, and and really be fully present. So that's an example of how our intentions are in the present. And if we embody our intentions and our intentions are positive, we will be more fulfilled and happy and satisfied, even if we never get to our goal. Right. I, yes, I, I totally see what you mean. Thank you for breaking it down like that. It's very easy to understand what, you, what your intention is. Um, but sometimes people have a difficult time discovering what they want in order to set their intention. What would you, what would you say to that? Well, Christy, I think that there's one thing that all 7 billion of us want, and that's happiness. So I would encourage people to recognize that they can be happier. Nobody is completely happy all of the time. But our intention in a broad sense can be just happiness. Let's be happier people today, right now. So how can we fulfill that intention? Well, uh, you know, my message is the simple practice of the elements of gain. We can actualize the intention of being happier by noticing our gratitude, noticing the pain we experience, because we can't sort of do a spiritual bypass and ignore it. Right. Notice it, bring it closer, merge with it, open our hearts, and we generally find out that the pain is not as bad as we imagined. And it's something that we can live with. Underscore our intention. And our intention is to be happier and to embrace an actual method of daily practice that puts us in that direction. Become more non-judgmental. So that's an intention that we can actualize right now. So, you know, I, I'm riding my bike to work. I'm going down this lovely lane on Stanford campus that is narrow. It's lined by trees, covered with a beautiful canopy of leaves. And I'm noticing it. I'm noticing my bodily sensations, the smells, the sights, the feeling of the breeze. And I see somebody walking on the path ahead of me in the same direction that I'm riding. And as I get closer, I see that they have buds in their ears and they're looking at their screen of their phone and I start to form a judgment. Why is this person looking at their screen when they're walking down this beautiful lane? And then I get closer and I see, well, the person's going to be in my way. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to be able to get by them. Why are they being inconsiderate and walking in the middle of the path. And as I do that, as I start to form these judgments, I immediately recognize that I'm doing it. I did my gain meditation. I focused on non-judgment and here I am forming a judgment. And so I kind of laugh at myself and let the judgment go. And as I pass this person, 
I look at him and he looks at me and we smile at each other. And it was a pleasant experience. So through my intention of being non-judgmental, I've converted a potentially unpleasant interaction into a pleasant interaction. And that is just a, a tiny little brick in the wall of happiness. You know, I've, I've actually made myself a little bit happier through my intention to be non-judgmental. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So that is how I think people can actualize the primary intention that we all have, which is to be happier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Did you know that Radiate Wellness is more than just a podcast? That's right. We're also a comprehensive holistic wellness practice. Find out about our services, practitioners, and upcoming events at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. While you're there, visit our podcast page to read more about our great guests and even donate to the podcast. If you like our podcast, you can help in other ways as well, like subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening right now. Tell a friend, a family member, or a coworker about the great content you find here. And if you wouldn't mind, please give us a thumbs up, a five-star rating, or a positive review. Sounds like a small thing, but it really helps. You might like to know about our Facebook communities while we're at it. We have a free community, the Radiate Wellness Community, on Facebook for news and great free content. Our subscribers group is Radiate U, as in the letter U, but also, well, you. There you'll find curated replays of past classes, guest interviews, and more. And now... Back to our podcast and back to our guest. Now, do you think that is it is possible to have certain desirable outcomes without being intentional? Without having the intention to do so? Well, I think that there are, you know, random events that happen without intention. So we may be single and we're not really intending to meet anybody and we're at a a friend's home and it's a dinner party and we meet somebody that we are attracted to. Um, And sure, so things, positive things like that will happen to us if we're awake and we notice them. And aware, yeah. Um, You know, if you're interested in meeting somebody and you're single, you would be helping yourself by actualizing your intention of being grateful, accepting, non-judgmental. In other words, if you're going to judge everybody you see at this get-together, you're probably not going to meet somebody that you hit it off with. But if you're intentional and you drop your judgments and you listen and you, and you bring yourself to the present moment where you're actually paying attention and you're listening and you're interacting, your chances of finding what you're looking for are much greater. And so I think that random acts do happen, but we can certainly increase the chances of positive events coming to be if we are prepared to receive them. And again, I think the gain elements are a good place to to start and to practice that. Mm-hmm. Certainly being mindful and being present opens us up to all the possibilities that abound, all the possibilities around us, right? Um, I also wanted to ask about setting positive type of intentions versus negative intentions. So what you want to show up in your life and what you don't want to show up. So can you talk a bit about the difference between those? Yes. Um, You know, I think, and you can correct me if I'm missing something here, Christy, but I think that I prefer to have positive intentions. So rather than think about what I don't want to happen or, you know, what I don't want to embody today, Mm -hmm. I would rather turn that into a positive and, and have the intention of, embodying 
gratitude, embodying acceptance, embodying non-judgment, rather than thinking, oh, I don't want to fall in this trap of judging, and I don't want to fall in this trap of taking things for granted and not being grateful. So I, I don't, I haven't thought about that. It's an interesting question, but uh, you know, you could correct me if you have other thoughts on it. I, I think that for the most part, our negative intentions can be considered in a positive way, which resonates with me, I think, to a much greater extent than framing them in a negative way. Sure, sure. Now, um, I don't know if you've got a spiritual tradition that you follow, but I'm a unity person, a unity worldwide ministry, and we teach that thoughts are our prayers. Our thoughts create our, what we see around us. And so even the negative thoughts are bringing more of that to us because, you know, the universe doesn't really understand don't, much less like a toddler doesn't always understand the word don't. They All they just hear is run. Sure. They don't hear don't run. And um, so I so I think that's um, perhaps a, an interesting way to look at these in, at intentions that we're always intending, whether we're intending to or not. And yes, that was an intentional pun. So <laughs> we're always putting that energy out there in other words, right? So we want to be intentional about it. Um, yeah, so I was just interesting, interested in getting your take on unintentional intending and, you know, the negative side of it. But, yeah, you, I think you broke that down pretty well. Okay, um, I wanted to also talk about your specialty, which you specialize in pediatric intensive care and pediatric anesthesiology as well as being mindful and, uh, you know, being a, a writer and author and professor. So I'm wondering, you know, like, even in your clinical studies in pediatrics, do you bring this into to your clients and parents? Absolutely. Um, you know, I think, first of all, when I decided to do intensive care medicine, I recognized that I was going to be dealing with a lot of death and dying. True. And, you know, our children have unusual disorders. We have a lot of children with genetic disorders, with congenital heart disease, with um, various congenital and acquired disorders that might not be compatible with life. And I knew that I would be taking care of these kids and I, I have to come to grips with what that means. And I have to have a relationship with death. I have to really focus on the A and gain the acceptance of death. And so having really thought about that for decades, uh, I would say, and with the other elements of gain as well, I'm much better equipped than I was 20 or 30 years ago to sit with families, to be present with them when their child may be dying. And really by being present, grateful, accepting, intentional, and non-judgmental, having the ability to listen to them and to sit with them in a peaceful way not necessarily explaining all of the medicine to them, which, you know, it's at a certain stage, most families have heard that enough. Some of them are practically qualified to be uh, nurses and doctors themselves. They've been dealing with a chronic disorder for so long and in and out of the hospital so many times. So at that particular time in their child's trajectory, it may be that the best thing I can do for them is just sit with them and be present. And I, I, absolutely know that in so doing, there's a certain radiance of love and, you know, a, a presence together, uh, a unity. And I think that is sometimes the most beneficial thing I can bring to my relationship with a family. Mm -hmm. um, furthermore, I, you know, I, I some people say, well, you shouldn't, you can't get too close to your patients. It'll just tear you apart. And I don't, I don't personally 
I don't object to that publicly, but I don't feel that way myself. I feel that we can rewire our brains to be totally accepting of death. I mean, it's, it's uh, none of us gets out of this alive. It's part of our life. And we can learn in baby steps to practice the A and gain and accept it. And when we've done that, we have no problem being close to families who have a dying child or a dying relative. Um, so it's, it's well within our power, thanks to our neuroplasticity, to be able to rewire the way we think. And, and in my particular areas of practice, it's extremely helpful for me to pause outside a patient's room in the ICU and remember my gratitude and remember my acceptance, remembering my intention of what I'm doing here in this moment and being absolutely non-judgmental of everything that happens when I go into that room. Maybe I'll smell cigarette smoke on the mother's sweater and her child is on a ventilator. And in the past, I might have just jumped to a quick judgment that maybe smoking cigarettes in the house or in the presence of this child contributed to his respiratory failure. But at this juncture, if I start to have a thought like that, I just get a, a laugh to myself and I just drop it. And so again, as I enter the room, I'm open-hearted, I'm completely accepting and non-judgmental. And I think parents really can experience that and appreciate it. I would have to agree. Um, as a parent and as a healthcare consumer, I would much rather my physician be mindful and intentional than impersonal and detached, right? It just feels like it would have a better outcome for all concerned to have some sort of investment from healthcare professionals. And as difficult as it is, because sometimes you do have to deliver really difficult news and um, support and hold a family through some difficult times. But, you know, this intention and this connection can also be therapeutic, in other words, I can imagine. Absolutely. Right. Now, um, you've been on the faculty for over 20 years, so teaching physicians for quite a long time. Are you finding differences in the students that you're teaching, perhaps, in their receptivity to this subject or their approach? Yes, I think that, um, you know, traditionally in medicine, there has been a, a relative lack of mindfulness and um, there has been a relative inattention to one's own spiritual health and physical health. You know, I, I, uh, I think there are three elements of our physical health that we need to attend to, and they are our sleep, exercise, and nutrition. And there's a lot more focus on those elements now. I mean, people are talking and reading about sleep hygiene, uh, physical fitness is emphasized, I think, in our culture and certainly in medicine uh, more than ever. And also there's just so much information out there about our diet. Granted, there's a lot of conflicting information but at least the importance of eating well is has become much more inculcated into our culture. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, you know, I don't know what changes in the medical school curriculum there really have been in those areas, but we do treat our trainees in a more kind and gentle way than we used to. For example, we have limitations on the number of hours they can be in the hospital. You know, that's been in place for the last five or six years, I would say. Yeah. Um, and that's just one manifestation of how we are trying to help our students look after themselves and, uh, you know, not sort of work them to the bone. So I do think that things are changing. They're kind of changing slowly. I, I have to say that I'm still disappointed when I'm on service in the intensive care unit 
Uh, I emphasize nutrition. My undergraduate degrees in nutritional science. It's really important how we nourish our critically ill patients because we tend to starve them for a variety of reasons. And so uh, I always bring up the principles of good nutrition, whether it's feeding through the gut or feeding through uh, an intravenous catheter. And I'm a little bit disappointed, I have to say, in how little our trainees seem to know about nutrition, even the basics. But, um, you know, at least uh, some of us are trying to change that. And and I'm hoping that the medical school curricula will uh, incorporate those elements to a greater extent going forward. But I do think the culture of medicine is at least moving in the right direction, albeit slowly. (laughs) Right. Baby steps, baby steps. Yes. And I would love to, I I would love to see meditation and mindfulness in play in the curriculum for doctors, as well as for police, for firefighters, for pretty much every walk of life. I think it's so important just having this mindfulness aspect and this, this aspect of, you know, clearing the mind so that we are more present and more able to be present. It's important. Absolutely. Yes, I agree with you completely. And so you've written this book, Gain Without Pain. Is this your first book? It sounds like you'd written others with gain in, in them. Well, that was the first one. Um, and then I've written another book, which hasn't been published yet, called Gain Without Pain, Your Happiness Handbook. And that's really just sort of a primer for everyone. I mean, the Gain Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals, uh, I think many, many people outside of healthcare have read and the principles are important for all of us. And so uh, it's not limited to healthcare providers. But the other one is more of a handbook, something you could probably put in your pocket. It hasn't been published yet because... I'm working on my third book, which is Gain Without Pain, The Happiness Handbook for Teens. Oh. And I have a book agent now. And so uh, hopefully she's going to, I just sent her the first five chapters. So I'm hoping that she gets uh, a bigger publisher than I had for the first book and that the second book will be published at the same time. Well, please put me on your mailing list or something because I need the teen book. I've got a 14-year-old uh-huh. at home who could really use it. i'm so excited by that i can't tell you i think it's probably something that will be read more by by parents and teachers right i don't know how many books teens read outside of those to which they're assigned as part of their (laughs) high school curriculum but uh we'll see well heck i could use it in dealing with her And uh, I co-teach a class on navigating anxiety for teens. I teach that with a mental health professional, a nurse practitioner. So, yeah, that would be very, very beneficial. I can't wait for that to come out. So uh, I'll I'll have to, uh, you'll have to keep me posted, in other words. Um, Let, uh, Let Angela and Steve Allen know that, and I'm sure they'll put you on the list. Oh, perfect. Yes, I definitely want to have you back on for that. Well, and the second book as well. I want to definitely want to have you back because I am so excited and kind of geeking out, honestly, that, you know, people in the medical profession and not only that, but teaching others in the medical profession are embracing mindfulness, are embracing gratitude and embracing intention and non-judgment. It, it's a fire that I think needs to spread. Um Wow. Um, and so your website is greghammermd.com, where there is information about this book that is currently out. I'm sure the new books will be out up there as well. Some excellent reviews. There's um, press clippings and press information and all types of interviews. And then a contact forum if anyone would like further information about what's going on. So um, is there anything that you feel like we haven't covered that I haven't asked that you would like to mention that in addition to what we've talked about? I would just like to, I suppose, in closing, reiterate that we all have brains that are hardwired in the same ways. And I, I think we could go through evolution and maybe posit a teleologic explanation for why we have a negativity bias. I mean, maybe uh, 
right. 50,000 years ago, the early Homo sapiens were living in caves and there could have been a saber-toothed tiger lurking outside the mouth of the cave. And so they always had to be wary and, and maybe by being very wary of what might happen in the future, uh, they were more successful in surviving and had more children. And so this wariness trait was propagated. But, but everybody should know that we're all hardwired to have this negativity bias we remember the negative and tend to forget the positive. We all have obsession with the past and the future and we resist to what is right now. Uh, We have resistance to that rather. And so I just want people to understand that they're not alone, that having these negative thoughts and, and having a difficult time being absorbed in the present moment is something that we all share. And the good news is that we can change the way we think we have this quality of hyperpla- of uh, neuroplasticity and we can change the way we think for the better and low expectations. There's no such thing as failure. It's, it's all a matter of baby steps repeated frequently and it's not difficult. That's why gain without pain, it's not painful. So we're all in this together. We're all made of the same stuff and let's not, feel as though we're isolated and and we're the only one that has these thoughts and feelings. We're all in this together and we can all help each other. Beautiful. I love it. I love it. Yeah, we can all carry each other home, help each other in all aspects. So Greg Hammer, MD, Dr. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It's been very enlightening. Thank you, Christy. It's a pleasure being with you. Radiate Wellness is a community of holistic and alternative healers and consultants based in the Kansas City area dedicated to helping you create spiritual, energetic, and physical well-being. To learn more about our practitioners, services, classes, and events, or to schedule an appointment, visit us at radiatewellnesscommunity.com. Victoria Moran. Since we launched the Main Street Vegan podcast back in 2012, lots more people have discovered the way that moving in a vegan direction can infuse our lives with vitality, spirituality, and compassion. My guests are experts on every aspect of making this work in your real life and our real world. Join us for Main Street Vegan here on mindbodyspirit.fm. 